And I think that's what happens with mental illness is that we tend to write people off. Oh, they're just crazy. They're mentally ill. They're sick in the head. And underneath all of that, there's a much deeper story. Hello, friend. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're listening to Your Spin Out is Gorgeous, a podcast of communion, a place where we connect within the full spectrum of humanity. My name is Natalie Q, and I'm your host. I'm a mother, a lover, a friend, and your fellow human. What I want to offer you is liberation from the cultural foists, the narratives that are thrust upon us and guide much of our experience here on the planet. I'm with you on your journey of unlearning. What if everyone you knew was pursuing a life of whole self-integration, witnessing and offering thanks for all that they are, warts and all? That's not just self-care, that's true, unconditional self-love. And I want to be there with you as you set your life and all the things that aren't serving you alight. With you as you bravely consider life from another perspective. Let's explore all things humanity without the veneer, together. Life examined, not just the pretty parts. You in? Let's do this. Hello, friend. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Your Spin Out is Gorgeous. I'm so glad you're here. I hope that like me, you are feeling that first little whiffs of and hints of normalcy back in the air, feeling like yourself, feeling like things are a little bit more like what we're used to. I know I am, and I'm excited. I'm even excited about marketing this podcast, <laughs> finding those synergies and on my exciting journey. And so I hope that you're feeling that too. And I am just really, really excited that it's Mental Health Awareness Month for May. So we're going to be focusing on some of those topics. Today, my guest is Ozzy Jank, for short, Ozriella Jankovic. Um, she is a master educator focused on synthesizing social science research and ancient spiritual wisdom on pertinent topics such as happiness and well-being. Her, she has a book, seminars, coaching experiences, and she has synthesized thousands of pivotal studies, papers, talks from experts in the fields of psychology, sociology, communication studies, interpersonal relationships, neurology, and success in business. She holds a doctoral degree in education. We're going to get into that a little bit um, today as we focus on her full-on psychotic break, which she speaks about with such salience and clarity and calm um, retrospection. I don't know how to even describe it. I just know you're going to love it because her voice, both her physical speaking voice and the voice of what she's speaking about um, just really touched me deeply into my life and heart. Uh, she has conducted research on mindful leadership and um, she also has seminars that integrate teaching and learning about the mechanics of personal growth and transformation. So I'm going to leave a lot of this in the show notes along with her website and where you can connect with her. But I am so honored to have her today speaking on this so that we can speak on these topics that have been so stigmatizing and really speak to them um, and breathe some life in and through them and to them and work toward a better future together where these topics are given the love, compassion, insight, um, inquiry that they so deserve. So without further ado, here is Ozzy. Yay, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Uh, yay. 
I just said yay. That's yay twice. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. I'm really, I really, it's awesome meeting you. Thank you for this. Thank you. Well, let's just jump right in because your story is not only so fascinating and interesting, but it's so resonant and useful, timely, helpful, and anything that we would want in a story for mental health awareness. So just again, let's go through some of the context of what led you to the certain events that um, are going to highlight different topics that we want to cover today and pretty much, you know, where we're going. So the floor is yours. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting this morning, Natalie, I was on the phone with my health coach, Nomi Levy, who's amazing. And I was just sharing with her some of what I've been experiencing over the past 60 days in this quarantine that we've all been going through and how I notice the emotional shifts, the physiological shifts in my body and in my mind. And she was sharing with me how each one of us, you know, we have our bio-individuality and the way that we respond to stress can really vary. And one of the ways that we as human beings respond to stress can be with variations in our mental health. And, you know, this is all again, very bio-individualized and there's so many different factors leading into what we present on the outside, how we behave, how we feel, how we therefore can end up acting. And I think it's, you know, after having gone through a journey and I'm definitely going to get into the journey with you, I think what I've come to understand so much is that mental health is really a physiological state of being. There's this really strong mind body and I believe spirit connection and it's an interplay and it's a constant interplay. And so what I've come to believe after almost 40 years of life on planet earth is that there should be absolutely no stigma with any diagnosis, any mental health challenge, any situation that anyone has. And I've come to believe this after having really suffered from feeling stigmatized, from really buying into the stigma, to be perfectly honest, when I had my own challenges beginning in my teen years. So I, you know, above everything else, that's really my message that we're humans and we were designed intelligently. And that said, we live in a world with so many different influences from the air that we breathe to all the really trillions of chemicals in our environment and factors in our environment. And there's no shame in in having a response to those things. That's so, right. I was there was a do you follow the holistic psychologist on Instagram? Uh, Nicole, Dr. Nicole. Yes. Sure. Did you see her post yesterday? <clears throat> kind of is was exactly this. It struck me so much. I for one could not believe that she ever gets an ounce of pushback or like that her her topics are polarizing in any way. Like she literally is breaking these down into bite-sized pieces. And if you don't listen or follow her absolutely find her on Instagram, the holistic psychologist, but she was talking about how it all started was by a psychotic break, I believe is the word she used that led to a spiritual awakening, which in that, in that moment, this, that was like, 
totally reconnected me back to my own ethos for why I'm so fascinated by that, because that can be the precursor to a spiritual awakening or a understanding yourself or the world on a deeper level. I know my my sister as well, when I went through my apostasy event with the Mormon church and leading the Mormon church, one of my sisters um, last summer said, broke down and cried and apologized for how she treated me during that time, but said, I thought you were having a nervous breakdown. And oh, I went, wow. I knew you did. Yeah. And, and, and I knew that I wasn't, but to be treated like, I mean, so that's where it dovetails with me and maybe we'll I'll develop not today, but develop that point that I've just brought up in greater right, depth right. at another time. But this is about you today, and I'm I'm super right. excited. To well, you know, I that's think, such a great. I think you you bring up so many interesting ideas in terms of you know this this having a psychotic break. What does it mean to have a psychotic break? And the way that I've come to understand the psychotic break, you know, you having gone through your your breakaway from the church, for example. And your sister treating you just like you were having a nervous breakdown. On some level, there was something she couldn't process, couldn't understand, or didn't know what to do with. And so she was, you know, labeling it a nervous breakdown and kind of writing it off. And I think that's what happens with mental illness is that we tend to write people off. Oh, they're just crazy. They're mentally ill. They're sick in the head. And underneath all of that, there's a much deeper story. And I think that the break from reality can come when reality isn't receiving the energy that you are trying to put out there, or perhaps you don't know how to put it out there. So, you know, I'm happy to get into, I've definitely had my few psychotic breaks in, uh, in my time on this earth. And I would be happy to share, you know, one or, or more than one of them with you. I think that the first one that comes to mind, you know, being that we're both right around the same age and we're both mothers is something that happened to me in the year 2012. And I kind of call it this like superwoman syndrome, looking back at what I was going through and then the shift that happened in my life after my psychotic break. So I would be happy to get into that one. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So, um, so I'll take you back to the scene. It was 2012. It was summer. And I had three kids, two, two daughters and a son. And my youngest boy was starting preschool in the fall. And at the time, I was a teacher. I'd been teaching in a really wonderful school and doing all sorts of work as an education specialist, loving my job. And I knew that my next step was to get a doctorate in education. And so I got into the program. I was so excited. And then summer semester began. And I just decided as soon as it did that nothing in my life was going to fall through the cracks at all. And it was a very firm decision that nothing at home would fall through the cracks. I would continue to host guests regularly and go on date nights with my husband and go to his work events. My kids would stay in all their activities. I'd keep carpooling them to school and I'd keep working. And somehow I would just kind of fit in those six hour classes and hundreds of pages of reading every week. How was I going to do that? Well, after my first class, six hours long, I realized that I couldn't pay attention looking back for, I mean, it's completely understandable as to why I had so many things on my plate at the time. My mind was in so many different places and decided to go check in with a physician and see if possibly, you know, there was there were some medications out there, maybe a prescription that could help me with my inattention at school. And I was prescribed Ritalin, I believe, Ritalin, Ritalin and then Adderall. 
over the course of the summer 2012. And as summer turned into fall and life got busier, my course loads got busier, I started upping my dose a little bit. I really enjoyed the way it made me feel. And it was really great because I wasn't so hungry. So I didn't have to take the time to prepare any elaborate meals to bring with me to work. I could just kind of eat a kind bar, you know, twice a day and drink a couple lattes and I would be, you know, well on my way. So that was how I was living. You know, I started losing weight, which I thought was great because then I could skip exercising too and just save more time. <laughs> and uh, right, like what can love be the logic? That? It makes love the logic. Makes total sense. Love the logic. And uh, and and so that's kind of how I was living, just in this like really overly productive. Just stay up a little extra to you know read read a few extra pages. I needed to get straight A's. That was the thing for me. And I just couldn't let anything be imperfect in my life at that time or appear imperfect to anyone. Like I needed to be the lady with it all together. And inside I did not feel, <laughs> I didn't feel so together, but but that just seemed to be like what I thought I was supposed to do. I needed to look good. I needed to get good grades. I needed to, you know, try to be as successful as I could and just check off all the boxes on this picture perfect life. And something happened in the fall of 2012. I was at school at USC in in Los Angeles. I was in class and I looked down at my phone and I noticed that I kept getting this repeat call from my mother-in-law. And I walked out of class realizing, you know, she doesn't call very often. It must be really important. And I found out that a very dear, dear relative, my husband's great uncle, who we were, he was like a grandfather to my children. He died that day. And when I came home that night after class, everything changed. It was like the rug had been pulled out from under me. My husband had gone to identify the body. He was the only living relative, blood relative in the area. And he, our great uncle Leon, who died, he was a Holocaust survivor. And he was just a very, very special part of our family. And as soon as that death happened, it was like, I just couldn't keep the balls in the air anymore, Natalie. I couldn't do it. And something hit me, this wave of emotion that was just too much to keep juggling everything else. And that was the week that I really stopped being able to sleep at night, which led me to a full-blown psychosis. Tell me more about that and how it showed up and what it looks like. I feel like I've come close, but there's so much stigma that it's like, hold it together. You've got this like death grip on your um, mental mind and and your outward facade. Like I like you just you just keep it together, you know. So yeah, what I does really it look try. like when? Oh, you, yeah, yeah really which is so funny to that. me. Yeah, it's so funny to me that I've needed to do that because as you've told me yours and, and from the ones and from Nicole, from the holistic psychologist, like there really is something to people in tune with their spiritual life where I think life on earth is so weird and funky and foreign and sometimes dark and very heavy being in matter that like, to me, matter, totally. right. In, in, in another way, like a psychotic break is like sort of inevitable. And yet here, because of the stigma, we will 
at times just keep it together. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think that the elements of the psychotic break, the psychotic breaks with an S that I've experienced, what I've learned is that there are certain spiritual components where we can transcend our bodies and we really can connect with, you know, um, with, with this, with deep parts of life. Like, you know, we can gaze into the sky and really see rainbows in the light. And we can really see that the most bright and beautiful details of a leaf and we can melt into a conversation and feel so connected to someone else on this planet. You know, we can really have these deep, all encompassing joyful experiences when we are not having a psychotic break. But I think for me, the psychotic break that I experienced at that time showed me that there were certain powers within me that I wasn't acknowledging in my life. And I think to, to kind of bring you back there, you know, what happened to me essentially when I started losing touch with reality was that after this death happened, I had a lot on my mind, a lot on my heart that I wanted to share with my husband and he emotionally, you know, as was really understandable and reasonable at the time, wasn't able to process um, everything going on in our family around the death. And so our communication broke down. And, you know, little by little, I just wasn't sleeping. And I wasn't going to ask anyone for help. I didn't, I didn't know that I needed help. And it was this sort of DIY life I was living. I just, I thought if I had, I had a problem, I have to figure it out. And if I didn't sleep at night, I'd have to just pop an extra pill in the morning and, and, you know, have another coffee and kind of, you know, go on my merry way. And I did not realize the body has its own way of communicating back with us. The body has a way as much as it can feel dark and confining of keeping us in our lane and of giving us signals of what we need by way of intuition. And as I was shutting down the signals, you know, not paying attention to my hunger signals and not respecting my body's need for sleep or for, you know, proper nutrition, or even just like acknowledging my emotions or creating time for mindfulness, I didn't know about those things yet. And so the way that the psychosis manifested was that I simply started hallucinating. I was under a lot of pressure and I just believed that I needed to take a vacation. I needed to get away. And I started packing my bags one day. It was a Sunday and I'd been acting, you know, out of sorts. Like my husband knew I wasn't sleeping at night and I made some really uncharacteristic outspoken posts on social media and those I think were red flags at the time. I, I wasn't so outspoken on social media at the time. And I think because suddenly I was really voicing these strong opinions, it was, it was uncharacteristic. And you know, looking back, Natalie, I'll tell you what, like, I think that we each have such a strong voice and we all have so many opinions and so much to say, but there's a process of repression that goes on where we wonder, like, does anyone even care what I have to say? Does yeah. it even matter? And I think I was so in that mode of just repressing my inner voice and not speaking my truth that it was building up inside of me. And it just exploded in these really honest, raw, vulnerable social media posts. And my husband did not know what to do with it. And so he and my parents collectively made a decision, which was probably, you know, very reasonable and rational at the time that, that I should go to the local hospital, Cedar sinai Hospital in LA and get checked out. 
And I was just resistant. I was just not having it. I didn't want there to be anything wrong with me. Like on our way to the hospital, I remember, you know, my husband drove me there. And I just remember thinking it was a Sunday afternoon and my parents had come up from San Diego to watch my kids. And my dad was trying to get me out the door. And I I was literally like physically pushing him out of my way because I felt so scared that if I were to go to the hospital and there were to be something wrong with me, that I would lose everything important to me in my life, that I wouldn't be... I would no longer be somebody likable. I would no longer have the job that I wanted to have. I would no longer be able to finish school. Uh, There would really be something wrong with me. Sounds like the setup of like an ego death. Because that's obviously what you'd think, but there is a part of you dying, but you can't see that something's going to be reborn from it. It's just the death of all of this attachment to the identity and the life, which clearly needs to die because it's not sustainable. I was so attached to this this illusion of trying Mm -hmm. to be perfect. And, And that was really, it really was the slow death of, of the ego that, that happened. And, um, you know, essentially my, my moment, (laughs) you see these posts on social media, oftentimes, you know, people ask like, uh, how many countries have you traveled to? Or have you ever been in the back of a police car? And I've actually never (laughs) reposted that thread because I have been in the back of a police car. And (laughs) right. So this was the night that I had a psychotic break and it was November 18th, 2012. And after my husband took me to the hospital, I was really resistant and I didn't even want to go in. So I called up my best friend and I asked her to pick me up from the hospital, which she did. And she came and got me and she said I could stay at her home in her guest room. And I went and, uh, and she went out that night with her husband. They had a prior engagement that they couldn't cancel. So I was home. The babysitter was home and I decided I would take a shower. I would unwind and try to go to sleep. And as I was in the shower, I picked up a glass bottle of like a hair treatment and it fell and shattered on the floor. Now, unbeknownst to me, my husband was in the hallway outside of this room. The babysitter had let him in to kind of come check on me and he heard glass break. So what did he do? He, like any, you know, (laughs) caring husband called mental health services, some 1-800 number in, in the States, and they sent out a police dispatch to check on me. So here I was in the shower and before I knew it, there were two police officers in this guest room and I was in the bathroom, you know, finishing up my shower and I hear, you know, Azriela Jankovic, this is the police. You need to come out. Can you give me my dress? You know, can you just hand me my dress and my bra through the door? And, uh, you know, that's like, that's just it was just so humiliating, this moment. And I'm like fumbling to get my clothes on. I'm wet. I'm trying to put on this silk dress. This is what they handed me through the door. And uh, and I came out and I felt so bewildered, you know, seeing suddenly these police officers. I felt so threatened and so scared that I resorted to praying. And I just started praying silently. And rather than answering the police officers and appearing like a, you know, coherent, cognizant human being, I was just praying silently and they had no idea what I was doing. And so they handcuffed me and, um, 
and they handcuffed me and they dragged me out of her home and they dragged me down the front pathway into a police car and they threw me into the back seat with my hands behind my back. And, um, I was really uncomfortable. My hair was really wet. I don't even think I had time to put underwear on (laughs) between us and everyone listening. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And I was so uncomfortable and I just decided, you know, in that moment, like I need to be more comfortable. can't have my hands behind my back. I took gymnastics as a kid. I'm super flexible. So I found a way to, to Jimmy the handcuffs under my legs. And I gently knocked on the window of the police car and excuse me, officer, I just wanted to let you know, is it all right if I sit like this instead of like that? I'm more comfortable this way. And without responding to me, one of the officers picked up his walkie talkie, called in, you know, for some special code. And within a minute or so up pulled an ambulance. And, um, from that moment I was transported from the backseat to the ambulance and handcuffed to a gurney. And after a short conversation with the EMT in which she told me she really didn't want to do this to me and she really didn't think I needed it, I was given a very strong shot of something, which I think was Haldol, to put me out. It was a really strong antipsychotic. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in this white room with, uh, you know, just this basic like metal frame bed and mattress, nothing on the walls, nothing on the floors. And I had no idea where I was. I felt like I had the worst hangover of my life and discovered that I was in a public psychiatric ward. I had been taken in against my will and that my friend was the death of my ego. Mm-hmm. It's it, My jaw is on the floor about the I don't know. I don't know if hysteria is the right word, but the law enforcement element of like, again, policing mental health. And I understand that we live in a complex and complicated world. And that if people are acting out of sorts, like what is the best answer? I'm not here to say I have the best one, but it just seems so. I don't know. It was so. so We get there by stigma. The, that this so is like a policeable offense, that this is not um, like the, that it's criminal. There's some, some criminal. Oh, I inflated like criminal. criminal element. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was exactly what happened. And, you know, I think that feeling of having done something wrong really permeated my being from the yes. moment I woke up. And, and it stayed with me for, for months. And, and I think that is, that was the beginning of a, a really, important journey for me because, you know, feeling like I had done something wrong created so much shame within me that I was paralyzed by anxiety. I was paralyzed by the thoughts and the beliefs surrounding this experience. So much so that over the course of going in and out of three different hospitals over the next three weeks from November 18th to mid-December 2018, I I wasn't really even telling people at the time. I mean, a few of my close friends knew, which was incredible. And they came to the hospital to support me, but it was like a secret. It was really like a secret. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things in life like that, right? I was thinking about this yesterday, again, about my apostasy, about how much it turned an event about my life 
about everyone else about me. And I was like totally absent from the experience. And divorce can be like that too, because I've gone through that as well. It's all about how other people and how society, what society says about this thing about you. And you're totally absent in this thing just about you, but how you experience that personally, there's how everybody else is experiencing it for you, through you, you're absent. But then how you are present in it is so much unwrapping of this juju of what everyone else is saying and how they're feeling. And especially if you have like enmeshment and codependency, you're then abandoning yourself to just make an experience about you okay for everyone else. And it makes me think, I know I said I don't. Yeah, that's really interesting to make the experience about you okay for everyone else. Like somehow I had to protect people from my stigma. Like I had a classmate who asked to come visit me and I guess she showed up at UCLA hospital and they told her I wasn't on the roster. Well, of course I wasn't on the roster because I was in this secret unit. Nobody can know when you're in the psych ward. Like Okay. There, clearly there's a stigma going on here. And, and I was too afraid to tell her. I was too afraid she wouldn't like me anymore. And you know it, what I've discovered over the years, Natalie, since this experience is that as slowly, slowly I began telling people, what I learned is that everyone is touched by mental health issues. And you know I could cry when I say this because it's so true. But the more I was holding it in and keeping it to myself, the more I felt the pain of, of being alone. Like somehow I was the only one in the world who'd ever been through this. And as soon as I started to let go and share the story, that's really when doors in my life started opening up because I got to hear stories, you know, such as yours, stories of all kinds of people who were really holding it together on the outside. And they had, you know, they had this secret, relative with this, you know, problem or something in their family or some diagnosis they'd never shared with the world. And I think that, you know, looking back, trying to like manage everyone else, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. it took me time to realize that this wasn't about everyone else. This was about me learning to trust my inner goodness. And only by feeling badness like I was, I had done something incredibly wrong, could I come to understand the importance of discovering and tuning in with the inner goodness that you have, that I have, that we all have, and yet we may not realize. Yeah. What I'm thinking of as well is there's this book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying that kind of exposes how crazy in the West our practices and rituals and beliefs about death are. And again, if this is an ego death, of course it dovetails. And what is the tradition in these Tibetan um, cultures uh, with the monks Mm -hmm. is to guide the person through the death. Can you imagine how much easier this experience rather than the hysteria of ambulances and police personnel, that there was someone who'd been trained to guide, like hold you and guide you through what was happening. That's so as- beautiful. It's I, it's so interesting you mentioned that the Tibetan tradition. I know one thing in that culture also is a death meditation where you meditate on your death at, at any at any stage in your life. And this really 
clear consciousness that we are renting space in our physical bodies. We're here for a limited amount of time. And I think that, you know, this ritual that you're bringing up is so beautiful of being escorted out of the physical world and into this, you know, next place. And I think we forget sometimes that, you know, our time here is short. I think it's a really, really important reminder and that we can nurture each other even through scary times yeah. like that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can dream that we could we could treat people like that. Um, and that could be so that's certainly the world I'm interested in working toward and creating. Oh yeah. Where there is more focus on guiding people through their experiences instead of shaming people through their experiences. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, you, I'm sure there was use in all of it, but you really did not need, and I did not need to for all of the things that I have just needed to claim for myself. I did not, and you did not need to unravel all of the shame that is just a really unnecessary part of our culture. Yeah, it's, you it's, know, it's, they it's, only, I agree oh, with you so much. I agree with you so much that what we feel, you know, there's no shame in having emotions. There's no shame in having a human body and in learning how to exist in this really sophisticated machine that we are inside of. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'll share a little story with you, kind of wraps up that saga. And it also, I think was the, the, the gateway, if you will, to a new understanding of myself. And I think this is something that, you know, anyone can benefit from a practice that I discovered a few months into my process. So taking you back, you know, again to this moment, 2018, I was in and out of these hospitals and I started learning different um, modalities for for mental health and and learning how to care for myself and, um, you know, both medical in the hospital and also a number of different therapies that they brought in to, to, to one of the hospitals. And then once I came out, and after I came out, I was I had a lot of shame and, and I isolated myself a lot. And a lot of my, you know, a few of my close friends would check in with me, you know, let's let's meet up, let's go to coffee, let's go for a jog, let's, you know, do this, do that. And I was always making excuses. And I felt in a certain way like I had an answer to my friends. Like I was afraid of them leaving me. I was afraid of them not liking me, not approving of me, leaving me and me being alone. And so finally one day, one of my closest friends asked me for coffee and I just said, okay, like, you know, sure, I'll come. I had no more excuses left. I'd use them all. And so we went and we were sitting outside of Coffee Bean. It was like a spring morning. So this is four or five months after I'd been like at home doing not much for a while, just in bed, depressed. And uh, we were sitting over our lattes outside and I couldn't, I, I couldn't hold the tears back. And I just sat there with no words and tears streaming down my face. And her name is Laura. And she looked at me and she asked me, she said, Ozzy, is this what you've been doing since November? And I just nodded my head up and down. Yep. This is it. This is what I've been doing. <laughs> you know, you're looking at it right here. I'm speechless and I'm crying. And she looked at me and she just said, Ozzy, you didn't do anything anything wrong. And Natalie, I'm telling you at that moment, I felt this shift, like something was lifted off of me. I could 
notice the sky again. Like I noticed that there were clouds in the sky and the birds were chirping. And I, I, I was able to look around myself and see where I was like this layer, this like dense layer of thoughts and shame and guilt just, just receded for a couple minutes. And it was like this powerful opening where I was able to see this other side, that there was another side to all of this and something brighter was waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And so I returned home that day and I remember I like to, to pray out loud in English, you know, just speak what's on my mind to the infinite one. And just, and I remember that day just saying out loud, like, I know there's something else out there. There's something else on the, on the other side. Show me what it is. What do I need to do? And the message that I got was that I needed to search for everywhere in my life that I wasn't doing something wrong. Anything that I could find where I wasn't doing something wrong, basically where I was showing up and I was, I was doing something because I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to be good in this world. And I could read the list for you. I I wrote it on my phone in one of my notes. And I used to open it every day on, you know, my, my iPhone under the notes app, like the little yellow lined paper. And in the beginning, I started out by writing like today I got out of bed when I really didn't want to. And I made my kids breakfast or today I got up and, you know, I, I I went for a, a little walk or I did the dishes or, um, I drove carpool. And, you know, little by little, just taking these small steps back into life, or I should say ahead, you know, forward into the new life that I was creating. And that list grew. I still have the list. And I actually created a journal called the Growing Kindness Journal, where I share a little bit about the story and there's different uh, quotes about kindness. And the idea is to write down the the acts of goodness, the acts of kindness that you're doing, because, you know, ultimately we have 60, 70,000 thoughts a day. Most of them repeat, most of them are negative. And if we allow this default mode to sort of run, we can really gloss over the places in our life where we're showing up and we're serving from our inner goodness. And by consciously attending to those acts, even if they're seemingly small, right? I always say like the, even the seemingly smallest of acts has ripples that radiate out into infinity. The smile that you give your neighbor can change her day, which can in turn change the day of everyone she comes in contact with. And quickly you see that that turns into a lot of people across a lot of space and a lot of time. So that was a huge shift for me and it just went on and on. I mean, I managed to stay in school, which was incredible. I managed to finish my degree three years later. I didn't go back to work for about a year and a half after my breakdown. I just worked on my health and focused on my family and school and uh, took, took the work off my plate. For a while, I started therapy. I went to a really amazing therapist. I I interviewed a lot of therapists and finally found this wonderful woman. Her name's Dr. Patty Johnson. She lives in LA. She's on Instagram. She's amazing. She's 
I think she's in her later fifties or even sixties now. And she's just so loving, so devoted. And she's an educator as well as a, as a psychologist. And she was able to teach me how to use thought tools, like how to, how to use CBT in my life and how to look at my thoughts and how to become conscious and shift my beliefs. And she was a huge part of my healing journey. Big, big blessing. People in your life who knew you and saw this must be so proud and in awe because again, it also sort of goes counter to what is the popular thought that like, these people are just mentally ill and we just get to write them off. And then that just puts it in a nice tidy package that makes our world make sense. This is her and she is that, and he is that. And now everything aligns and is all wrapped up with a bow. Whereas it's like, if you allow the experience to show up and in a certain way you fight it, but I'm sure in another certain way you welcome it. And then it becomes like, it becomes the, a process instead of a diagnosis. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not here to say that you are everyone or everyone looks this certain way. I'm talking about stigmas. I'm not actually talking about diagnoses or actual mental illness. I'm talking about our attitudes of mental illness, just to make that distinction. And of course there are some people who are you know, need medication, don't need medication, right. should do this, should do that. I'm not here to be a doctor. I am not a doctor. And and again, the stigma is why um, we need to look into that because right. the fact that I even need to say that or that something I could be saying is controversial when all I'm talking about is the attitudes we have toward each other of labeling one another. And right, and, right, and right. The, our own miseducation about things. So, but what a beautiful example of the way um, mental illness and and different because this wasn't the only one. And we in the our chat before you talked about different things that were going on with you psychologically, mentally, physiologically in your teenage years. Oh yeah, just different experiences. What you show us is how you can have these experiences, they can come move through you. And there is a processing that is possible and a moving Absolutely. beyond it and an incorporating of it. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, last week I was, I was on a zoom funeral for one of my mentors, one of my earliest mentors, her name is Ellen Fox, and she's um, a Jewish temple director in North County, San Diego. And, um, and I'm going to cry when I'm telling you this story, but she was my first mentor. She gave me a teaching job in the religious school when I was a teenager and we became really close. Well, two, 20, 21 days ago, I, I found out that her son who was 42 years old was murdered and he was murdered on the streets of San Francisco. And I came to the zoom funeral a few days ago and I found out about it at the last minute from my mom and I hopped on the zoom call and hundreds of people were there and she was speaking and crying. And as I tuned in, she began to speak about her son who had battled mental illness and how hard it was for him. And, you know, one of my beliefs is that, you know, what is the difference, Natalie, between illness and wellness? Illness is I, right? I illness and wellness is we. And I believe firmly that 
whatever we're going through, we do not have to go through it alone. And, you know, I was so afraid to share this story, but I will, I will tell you time and again, I was never, I don't think I was ever rejected by anyone. Like I never lost a friend. I used to be so afraid of losing friends for so many years of my life. I I felt really um, afraid of abandonment. And what I've learned is the exact opposite thing has, has happened for me, that the more I'm open and the more I tell my truth that, you know, yeah, maybe I have a lot going for me, but like I've had a really hard emotional road and we all have emotional ups and downs. And the more I've been real with it, the closer I feel to, to people and the more people open up to me and the support. I mean, I'm telling you, I checked myself into the hospital two years ago, two summers ago, and I knew, you know, I had learned a lot between, between 2012 and 2018. I learned a lot about what the signs are, what to look for. And so my husband and I together, you know, we, I checked in voluntarily and I had a whole like support team, one of my closest friends, psychologist, and I had a psychiatrist and it was a whole like team effort. And when I was in the hospital, I had five visitors a day, like, you know, people coming in and out and I felt no shame about being there. I was disappointed with the conditions of this hospital. You know, there's no outdoor space. I, I, I really, um, and I think this is like an, an episode all on its own. Some of the caregivers in the hospital were compassionate and they really were caring, but I saw a lot of things on the inside that really chilled me to the bone. And, and, um, and, you know, it's just interesting. I, I've learned a lot over the years about how to be there for someone in having a break. And I was able to help people while I was there for the week that I was there. And so much so that one of the inpatients became a, a coaching client of mine later. And, you know, we work on, you know, not living through our stigma. And I think that's huge because I see her, you know, this particular woman who's just so lovely and she has so many talents. She's a musician and she's plays, you know, she's, she plays a number of instruments and she's a painter and she's creative and she's has so many strengths, but it's so easy for her to forget those and live through this myopic, this small minded feeling, this feeling of being small, this feeling of being a diagnosis. And so I'm there. I'm there to remind her. And I remind, I'll remind anybody who needs to hear it because I live it every day. There is a part of us, Natalie, there's a part of you. There's a part of me. There's a part of every single one of us that that no words can possibly describe. We are beyond words. And so there's, there's never a diagnosis that defines us. We're so much more than that. We are so much more than that. Oh, that is so beautiful. That is just exactly like, we're not going to top that right there. Tell people (laughs) where they can find you and connect with you. And we're going to have to have you back because there's there's so much to get to. We didn't even get to. Well, it's all right. There's so much. It's mental health awareness one. We will get to it all that we can. (laughs) I just really appreciate your support and your open heart. And I see you're on this journey and you're, keeping it real and being so authentic and sharing. And I appreciate that. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being you. And in terms of where our listeners can find me, I have all kinds of resources. I have a book on Amazon. I have a podcast. 
I have meditation circles on an ongoing basis that I, I facilitate online. And I think the best place to find me really would be my website, which is drazi.co. It's D-R-A-Z-I dot C-O. And anybody on the side is going to get yeah, a resource. I, I, I have meditations and all sorts of resources to share with anyone who pops by my site. Love that. Thank you again. Well, that was beautiful, by the way. And thank you for your words and your wisdom and sharing your story and being here. It was my honor and pleasure. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Wasn't that amazing? A huge thanks to Ozzy for being here and for sharing so generously of her heart and her story. And thank you for tuning in and listening. As I said, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, which you probably know. And so I'm so excited to bring you some shows. Next week, we'll be on The Inner Child. And then we've got other shadow work, Enneagram stuff coming up. I'm super excited about this month and what we're going to be doing on this topic, married with our topic, of course, your spin out is gorgeous, which it is. Hello. <laughs> um, for more information, please go to my website, which is natalieq.com where you can also find my guided meditations and other stuff I blog about and other information. You can find a 21-day accountability journal, um, which is going to be such a useful tool as we're lifting off of quarantine and we're looking to get back into our great habits. And um, I'm also going to be voicing some guided meditations for the inner child. So go to the website to look for those. Also love to connect with you on Instagram at Natalie Q or TikTok, Natalie.Q. Um, and thank you again as well to Antelope the Wild, which I have not mentioned in a couple of weeks, who is the DJ who produced the track Body Trouble, which is our theme music, and he so generously let us use that for the show. So thank you again, Antelope the Wild. Connect with him on SoundCloud Mixcloud. Check out the show notes for any um, links, questions, spellings of <laughs> first and last names, and we'll see you back here next week. Thanks again. Be well. <laughs>